Hi everyone, and welcome to my interpretation of RPG A Day 2021, wherein I talk or give a few thoughts about a prompt word on this calendar that we have to use, developed by the people who, for the eighth year, have done this project. Originally, I intended it to be like one take, but things are malleable. I've added recaps, I've added callbacks. So, here we go. Hey, Carl, sorry I missed the Deadlands game last night. I just really, I wasn't feeling it, and I didn't want to drag the group down or anything. So uh, it sounds like it was an awesome game, dude. That Blood Demon thing sounds badass. Uh, Yeah, I was fully expecting, like, a giant lizard or something, but I didn't expect somebody to blow up and a Blood Demon to come out. That's dope, dude. (laughs) I really like that. Uh, yeah, you listed a lot of really interesting games. You didn't mention any Pathfinder games, man. I've been I've been subtly, ever so subtly, trying to nudge you towards running a Pathfinder Adventure Path. But, you know, running through Masks or one of the Cthulhu big boys would be pretty interesting, I think. I've, I haven't played much Cthulhu. And most of those other games on your list are games I've never played before, so that's always cool. Uh, Yeah, I don't know, man. I I love playing in campaigns. Like, that's my jam. Like I've said, I like playing in one-shots, but I love playing in campaigns. I don't know. That's just my flavor, man. But it sounds like you got a whole list of stuff to get. Ah, Can you hear the trucks? That's pretty fun. A whole list of games to get through in the next few years. And yeah, dude, that's that's the only way to get through is just to put them out there, put them on the table, and see who wants to play. I wish you the best of luck. I, I don't really have a big collection, so I'm lucky in that sense because I don't have to, I don't have to deal with that. So anyway, man, we're on day 27. We're done with day 27. Only a few more days to go. Keep up the good work. Peace out. Hey, Joe, I'm sorry that you missed our game. It was pretty fun. It was, had a cool duel, which I think your character would, could have excelled in, but it worked out just as well. It's pretty crazy. But what's neat is it can pick up, you know, you can just kind of jump in in the next thing that happened. So can Eric Salzweedle's character of uh, something Omega chicken cast coop can jump into it makes it conducive to doing that as the characters flee the burning the flat edge town that is burning and head to the ranch to hopefully find some information probably along with a flood of refugees of people who didn't get eaten by sand sneaks giant Gila monsters as Arlen Walker describes so as far as Pathfinder games, man, see, I haven't put a Pathfinder game up there because I have a lot, a lot of adventure paths, both for Pathfinder 1 and 2. And I don't know, as I look at all my collection, I have so many to run. You know, I think one that I would love to run, I'll just share this with you, is The Reign of Winter. Because that's the one where you can go to World War One and get machine guns which might be kind of cool. 
Um, other than that, I don't know. I mean, I like Strange Eons because it has that Cthulhu theme. I like Iron Gods because it has that that sort of uh, sword and sorcery technology theme. Um, you know, hard to say, hard to say. Return of the Rune Lords would be really fun. And then the last one, Tyrant's Grasp, I heard is really good too. Um, or War for the Crown. But I read like the first adventure in War for the Crown and I, I don't know, I wasn't as impressed. But um, I tried to run the Pathfinder 2 Adventure Path, um, Extinction Curse, but uh, that hasn't come to fruition. And the one, actually, the one I really wanted to run is the one that takes place in Absalom, where you play cops investigating murders and doing police-type work. That one is called, and I will find it for you, that one is called Agents of Edgewatch. So I might add Agents of Edgewatch to the list and maybe Rain of Winter to the list. Those are the two adventure paths that I'd like to run the most. So, um, yeah. Thanks for the calls and the inspiration. I'll probably have to add those to the list and stuff. Hello and welcome to RPG A Day 2021. Today is August 28th, and the prompt word is solo. I'm going to try an experiment here, and let's see how it goes. I'm going to try to run through you through a solo adventure. The adventure is Alone Against the Flames. I'll read some, I'll pause some, I'll let you know what my roles are. I don't know if I'll actually do actual roles, but we'll see how this works. It is guerrilla recording on my phone. It's not subject to the wonderful editing that a lot of you podcasters might do. But um, let's try this out. The sun is high in the sky, a merciless ball of heat. You feel scorched by the time you reach the bus halt in front of Osborne's drugstore. It's a relief to put down your heavy cases and take off your hat for a moment. You fan your face. It has been a long summer here in your hometown, and yet curiously, an empty one. Look across the street at the grubby butcher shop, the grocer's with its faded awning and a shabby tobacconist. Mistrustful faces glare at you as they pass, eyeing your clothes and luggage. Was your parents' choice to live here, not yours? You are happy down south as a child among Providence's white-walled houses and leafy churchyards. Perhaps this new job in Arkham will supply the change you need. Yet everybody you know in the world lives here. You know nobody in Arkham. Not one soul. You ask yourself one last time if you're doing the right thing. The answer is here. None of your supposed friends have come to see you off. You are alone. Whatever challenges lie in Arkham, it will be a new life and a brave one. A small gray motor coach approaches and rattles to a stop. You put your hat back on and pick up your cases. Go to page 263. Technically, it's not page 263. It's entry 263. Two young men with sullen expressions alight from the coach. One looks you up and down before heading away. The driver also steps down, glancing at you before crossing the road to visit the tobacconist. When he returns, he is rolling a cigarette between his yellowed fingers. He gives it a final twist and examines you as he reaches for his matchbox. He is a thin man in his fifties, dressed in a stained shirt with a bus company emblem, yet his eyes are sharp in their dark sockets. Where to? You show him your ticket. For Ossipee, from there you will connect to Rochester and Portsmouth before the coastal 
line to Newburyport and finally Arkham, you should be able to afford a rail ticket for at least some of the way. Otherwise, this will be the first among many long bus trips. Mm-hmm. The driver scratches a match and lights his cigarette. The end flares as he takes a draw. Then he exhales and gestures to the back of the coach. Luggage racks up there. So here I'm instructed to look at my investigator. And then I have all my... It says to look at the characteristics. Um, interesting. And I guess we're making a character because the instructions tell me to select my eight characteristics from an array of characteristics and then go to entry number eight. So here I will do that and get back to you. So I made him a big man and I, I, I assigned my stats as follows. Strength 80, con 50, size 60, dex 60, appearance 50, education 40, intelligence 50, and power 70. The driver smokes and watches as you drag your case to the back of the motor coach. The rack is set inconveniently high on the vehicle. You get a grip on the heavier case. And then it instructs me if my size is 40, go to one place. And if my size is higher, then go to another place. If my size is higher than 40, so I go to entry 38. The driver continues to enjoy his cigarette, watching with keen interest as you struggle with the case. You grit your teeth and... Heave the second one into place. Perhaps the residents of Arkham will have better manners. Go to entry 233. The driver flicks his cigarette into the gutter and steps into the motor coach. Its engine cops into life. You board, grateful that you will be the only passenger for the initial part of the trip at least. With mixed emotions, you watch from the window as the tired avenues of your old home slip behind you, receding into the distance. For a few minutes, you can see the church spire over the brow of the low hill. Then the road dips and it too is gone. Arkham is your new home. You will travel there and make a new start. Now that it instructs me to do some of the derived statistics, so I will do that. So I did all the derived statistics. It just asked me to make sure my sanity was equal to my power. and My magic points were one-fifth of power. And then I did all the halves for the hard success rolls and the fifth for the extreme success rolls for all the stats. Now it instructs me to go to entry 134. The coach putters through the countryside. At first, the interior is stifling and your stomach lurches with every bend in the road. However, the driver opens his window, and by switching seats, you find a spot where the breeze hits your face. You soon relax into the journey, observing the quaint little hamlets that the coach serves. A heavy-set woman boards on one settlement and gives you a polite nod. She sets off at the next one. The road rises a little, passing cornfield and orchards. The leaves are turning, and the trees are alive with glorious reds and golds. You have just begun to doze, and the driver takes a tight bend at speed. Now I'm asked to do some more derived statistics and calculate my luck. And then make a dex roll, which I will do. So it asks me to derive my hit points, which is going to be adding size and con together divided by 10. That is a total of 110, so 11. And then doing my luck, I rolled a 14, multiply that by 5, and I get 70. So my luck is pretty good, but then I roll my dex. And although my dex is 60, I failed. I got a 63. So I will go to entry 59. A desperate yell awakens you. I must have fallen asleep. You feel yourself slide from the seat as the driver spins a wheel and the motor coach plunges off the road. Too late, you reach for the seat in front. You fall into the aisle and your ribs crash against the edge of the seat. Opposite, breath rushes out of you. The coach stops with a thump. Your driver leaps from his seat into the road. As you sprawl dizzy in the aisle, you hear a string of incendiary curses. 
The driver climbs back into the cab and sees you on the floor. He looks concerned, assists you back to your seat. You see what happened now. A Fordson tractor has stopped in the road, and he had to swerve to avoid the steel obstacle. Sorry, he says. All them fields, and he has to pick the road to park. You all right? You don't think anything is broken, but you'll have a colorful bruise for the next few days. He backs the coach up a little and threads it around the tractor, glaring at the farmer. I lose one hit point. So I'm down from 11 to 10 hit points. Now I go somewhere else, entry 71. You resume your journey. The driver takes the curves with more caution than before. He glances over his shoulder at you a couple times. Sorry about that before. That fellow's as dumber than a hog. I'm Silas. What's your name? The accident was at least as much Silas's fault as the farmer's, but it doesn't seem to shrewd seem shrewd to antagonize a man while he is driving you through the middle of nowhere. So now I get to make a name on my character. Then I can add my age. It says to be between 23 and 36. So I will be back. The coach turns onto a narrow road which weaves uphill through the woodland. Silas becomes chatty. I do tell him my name. My name is Jim. Jim Otto. Going to Arkham, eh? Can't say I've heard of the place. Went to Boston once. Didn't like it. Too much hustle and bustle. You got family there? Someone special waiting? The afternoon wears on. You see no harm in confining him. Silas about your new, your new life. A job, eh? What's your line? So I get to choose a job between antiquarian, doctor of medicine, journalist, private investigator, or professor. I don't know. Jim Otto's pretty big. Somewhat average on other things. Maybe PI is the best way to go. I think I'm going to go private investigator. So I go to the entry where I'm supposed to go when I pick private investigator. And here it goes. It reads... You skirt around the details of the profession in an unusual way, mentioning only that you have helped the police to clear up various problems in the past. Your heart pounds a little faster as you think of the post you have secured at the Blackwood Detective Agency. You've had enough of investigating martial infidelity, marital infidelity and bank clerks on the take. It sounds like the Blackwood Agency is just the opportunity you need to cut your teeth on some real villainy. Silas narrows his eyes, but he says nothing. Now it tells me to fill in some other things. Fun. Oh, now I get to pick um, my skills and do my credit rating. And then I go to another entry. Okay, I picked all my skills. I have uh, occupation skills are art, craft, photography, disguise, law, library use, psychology, spot hidden. And one of the following, charm, fast talk, intimidate, persuade. I took charm. And then I get one as a personal specialty, which I took as unarmed combat. And then it asks you to allocate a set of numbers, 170, 260s, 350s, and 240s among those skills. So I chose I have art, craft, photography at 40, charm at 60, disguise at 40, unarmed attack at 50. So that would be like fighting, brawl at 50, that is. Um, law at 50, library use at 50, psychology at 60, and spot hidden at 70. So now I go to this place. Entry 128. You realize Silas hasn't made a stop since the incident with the tractor. The motor coach winds its way uphill. However, your thoughts are interrupted as the road crests a ridge and you are treated to a magnificent view of the vista below. A creek snakes through the valley, breaking the rich autumn palette of the tree line. In the distance, the white mountains rise into hazy cloud. There is no settlement, not even a cabin, as far as the eye can see. Birds drift through the treetops and you can just make out 
what might be two white-tailed deer lingering out by the water. Perhaps you are making a mistake by moving to the city. Could you survive on your own in the celestial wilderness? Now it's asking me to choose four skills which are not occupation skills, and these are my personal interest skills, and I can boost each of these by 20 points based on the base number they have. So I'll do that. For those, I chose Dodge, which goes to 50, Firearms Handgun, which goes to 40, First Aid, which goes to 50, and Stealth, which goes to 40. All right, the motor coach rattles on through the hills, and Silas lapses into silence. The sky darkens behind you, pinks tinting the clouds as the sun descends. Finally, a welcome sight comes into view, a settlement on the crest of the hill. This doesn't look like the pictures you've seen of Osipi, but perhaps you can persuade Silas to stop while you stretch your legs. Minutes later, a harsh stuttering from the engine interrupts your reverie. Silas frowns and rattles the gear stick. The motor coach falters in its ascent. Silas utters a curse you don't recognize and grinds his teeth, struggling at the wheel. You seem to inch up the hill until you reach the first buildings, low dwellings constructed from rough red stone. Silas wrestles the coach into a small bay off the road. He scrambles from his seat and makes for the engine compartment. Now I get to choose to roll Drive, Auto, or Psychology. I will reuse Psychology. I need to get, looks like I need to get a hard success. I do. I needed a 30 and I rolled a 10. So let's see what happens. I go to entry 162. You sense a falseness in Silas's actions. He is acting. Either he is not as aggravated about the breakdown as his behavior suggests, or perhaps the breakdown itself is an act. If this is a ruse to make you spend your time and money in a local shop, he'll be sadly disappointed on your purchasing power. I can check um, my psychology since I successfully did it. Now I will go to number 194. Silas opens the ed engine compartment open and sticks his head inside. The hot metal pops and sizzles. He pokes at various components and withdraws and wipes his brow, smearing it dark with grease. I ain't sure what's wrong. Maybe... The, might be the oil pressure. Might be something knocked off kilter when we took that spill. Can't do much until the engine cools, neither. And with the light failing, I reckon we'll be here for the night. He wipes his hands on the rag. The shadows from your surroundings are already long, and the air is chilly. You feel stiff from the journey and a night, and the rickety coach sounds unappealing. Silas sees your dismay. This here is Emberhead, miles from any place. I only come through here twice a week. But the folks are good people. May Ledbetter keeps a spare room. She'll look after you. Up that alley, turn right. First house on the left. He scratches his cheek, looks again into the engine compartment, and spits on the ground. Meet me back here at eight in the morning, and we'll we'll see how how's we stand. So I can go to May Ledbetter's house. Ask Silas what he will spend the night. Challenge Silas about his breakdown. I think perhaps I will challenge him, since I did make my hard psychology roll. So I go to, to number 257. You confront Silas with your suspicions. His brow darkens and he shows a mouthful of twisted teeth. Ain't that just like you city types? He spits, thinking the worst of a man after he's gone out of his way to attend to your comfort. He stalks around the back of the coach and hauls your bags from the rack, dumping them on the ground at your feet. Take them. Otherwise, I'll guess you'll be accusing me of thievery in the morning. He marches off into darkness raging. Well, that could have gone better. But hey, at least he knows, right? Go to 267. You drag your cases between the sullen buildings. You feel 
surprisingly weary, considering you have spent all day sitting down. Silas's directions lead you to a modest dwelling with a slate roof. A nameplate reads Ledbetter, and underneath a sign in neat copperplate reads Lodging Room. The lane around you is gloomy, but a lamp flickers in the window. A breeze chills your face. You're not about to begin your new life sleeping in the street. You rap on the weather-beaten door. This is where uh, Jason would call out railroad, railroad, because I guess I had, I guess uh, the Ledbetter place was a uh, quantum ogre. All right, I'm going to number four. After a moment, you hear footsteps inside the house. A bolt is drawn back, and the wooden door swings open. A figure with loose curls and a rough-looking house dress peers at you. Her gaze takes you in your traveling suit and your case. Her voice has a slight Irish lilt. Hello, should I take it that you're looking for a room for the night? You inquire at two rates, suppressing a grimace as far as you've seen. The village does not offer you many alternatives. Oh, you'll find them very reasonable. You look tired. I'm May. Come inside and we'll talk over a cup of tea. The Ledbetter house feels cramped with a low ceiling and simple fittings, but it is well kept and a cheerful fire crackles in the grate. The aroma of tea is soothing and the cup warms your fingers. Have you come to Emberhead for the festival? Asks May. Then I have a choice to see, to explain what happened with Silas or to ask about the festival. I think I will ask about the festival. Well now, says May, I suppose a festival is the, about the only reason to ever come to Emberhead. I thought you might, you had maybe come to study it or take photographs. Well, it's not tomorrow night, but the night after, I suppose, it looks very strange to a passerby. May tops up your tea. The spout chinks against your cup. We've got the beacon, you see. One night every year, there's a torchlit procession. We light the beacon on the cliffs. We've never seen the like of it. They say it keeps the spirit of the village alive for another year. It's a celebration. A celebration. She tails off for a moment and blinks. But you didn't come here to listen to me blather, and you must be hungry. I can rustle you up a bit of stew. How would that be? You ask again about her rates and may name the price. So low you accept it without hesitation. The room is small but comfortable and the stew dark and hearty. After dinner, you have a couple hours before your usual bedtime. To talk to May some more, 31. To walk around and get your bearings. Go somewhere else. To turn in for an early night. Hmm. I think I want to learn some more. I'll talk more to May. So it says go to 31. May talks about life in Emberhead. In her letters, my sister always asks... If I'm not bored living in such a small place, she lives in New York. And then she writes about how frightened she is to walk home at night. I ask you. You mention your hopes for a new life in Arkham. May doesn't seem to really hear you. It's a small place here, yes, but that means we have real community. Everyone's face is known. Everybody works together. Nobody is excluded. Except for those to, to choose to exclude themselves, of course. I couldn't live anywhere else now. Now it asks me to make a charm roll. Yes, I pick charm. So I will see if I succeed or fail. I succeeded with a 43 out of a 60. Doesn't delineate hard or extreme success, so I go on to page to number 39. As the hours wear on, May's upbeat manner descends into something more reflective. It's not always easy. I'm a widow, you know. We have a little money, and of course I appreciate the custom of travelers like yourself. I know we'll never starve as long as we live here, but I don't see myself marrying again. I know every man in the village. I know them too well. If you see what I mean. Okay, this is getting interesting. 
Her mouth twists briefly and she yawns and pushes a hand through her hair. Time for me to turn in. When would you like your breakfast? All right, so now I get to check my my box on the charm. If I success as if I successfully complete this adventure, now this is getting worrisome. You'll have the opportunity to learn from your experience with May. Now go to 63. As May stands, you hear a clunk behind you. You look over your shoulder, but all you can see is a wooden door securely closed. May tuts. The young lady of the house, she'll have been listening to us. Ruth, come and greet our guest. There's a short pause and the door creaks open. Two white eyes peer at you from the gap between tousled hair and a rough nightgown. What do you say? The eyes blink. Pleased to meet you. Now go back to bed. The door closes. My daughter, Ruth, ten years of summer. She's a delight and a torment all in one. Don't worry. She sleeps in with me. She'll not disturb you. Good night now. You retire to your room. It's a little chilly, but you're too tired to worry about lighting the fire. The sheets are clean and the bed soon warms up. Great. No bed bugs. I like that. The silence outside is strange after living in a town for so long, but soon you drop off. Now I go to 154. You dream of fire in the grate, coruscating colors shimmering through the dancing tongues of flame. At first they are tiny, almost microscopic, but they grow and grow until a kaleidoscopic inferno fills from the fireplace, spreading across the floor. Up the sheets, you wake with a start. Daylight glints through the curtains, and you get up and examine the grate, blinking the sleep from your eyes. It is quite cold. I can heal one hit point back after my night's sleep, and then I go to 166. So I will change that on my character sheet. May seems to have no running water, but has supplied some in a ceramic jug. You freshen up at the washstand and go in. She cooks a hearty breakfast and leaves you in peace to eat. At about 7.30, you are paid up, packed, and ready to go. You bid May goodbye, and she wishes you the best for in your new career in Arkham. It says now, if I succeeded at a skill roll last night in which to investigate the results further, go to 178. Otherwise... Go to 192, but I did succeed at a skill roll, so I will go to 178. I feel like I didn't succeed, so I backtracked, but it looks like it might have deleted that segment, which is good. So, you're already tired of your heavy bags, because I did not, all I did was go to the hotel and didn't explore town, so I think that's what the, the queue was for. Hopefully Solace has repaired the motor coach, though, and you can resume your long journey. A sour pussy might be, but the old driver seemed to understand his vehicle well enough. You pause to check your watch, still 20 minutes early, and round the final corner, and guess what? That little bastard's gone. The motor coach is gone. I put my, back, my bags down, search the area, trekking up and down slopes and around corners at the edge of the village. I trace the long road back as it winds around the hills. Eight o'clock comes and goes. There is no coach. A passing villager notices your bags. Looking for the bus? I heard him take off at first light. He's due back in three or four days. If you need a place to stay, May Ledbetter rents a room. I know that already. I don't say that, though. The man raises his hat to you and strolls into the village. You curse Silas, that bastard, under your breath. Perhaps he went for parts, but you wonder if the old goat has stranded you here on purpose. Go to 218. May is doing laundry. I decided to go back to the boarding house. And she looks surprised to see me. Forget something? When you explain the situation, she offers to store your bags while you try to arrange for alternative transport. You're grateful to relinquish the load. Nobody here has anything like a car. She strokes her chin and narrows her eyes. Maybe you could find somebody with a horse and a cart for your bags. I'll ask 
around later. Try Mr. Winters at the village hall. He'll know if anyone will. Or ask some of the artisans. The workshops are the first of the left. Silbury Street. She reaches over and squeezes your wrist. Don't worry, I won't see you sleeping in the street. Money or no money. You thank me and go to face the village. Go to number six. Cool, now I'm exploring the village. You wander the streets of Emberhead without any particular destination in mind. The village is built on a relatively flat upland with splendid views. To the north, the hazy tips of the white mountains reach for the heavens. To the south, the sparkling waters of Lake Winnipesaukee touch the horizon. The village itself is less than five minutes to cross from edge to edge. You arrived on the winding road from the west. The only other road leads to the south, following a lower ridge of land as it turns east. In the southwest is a village, an open grassy space borders a ruined church, its graveyard cresting the cliffs. To the northeast, the three main thoroughfares meet at a raised black metal structure that looms stark against the blue sky. Now I get a choice. I can ask about transport, look for the village hall, walk down to the lower level, examine the metal structure, explore the church, look for local people with their own transport needs. Hmm. I think I'll go to the general store to look for transport. So I think I want to get out of here and go to Arkham, though these places are curious. Okay, I'm going to the, check out the transport hall, and maybe I can come back and check these other places. Got to get out of this little town, right? The general store is on the corner besides the main road, just before it plunges to the south. The shopkeeper is a brisk, immense lady with a starched apron and, a, and strong shoulders. She looks at your unfamiliar face. Transport? There's a motor coach comes through twice a week. I roll my eyes. Missed it, hmm? Truck brings in supplies every second Tuesday, but he's not due for another week, she shrugs. It seems Emberhead is content to keep itself distant from the outside world. Hmm. I don't know. I think I'll be good. It says I can buy something, but I think I'll leave. Now I'm going to go to another place. It says to go to 25. You're beginning to get your bearings in Emberhead. Where would I like to explore some more? I think I'll ask local people, try to talk to them about their needs before I do some exploring on my own. If I'm stuck here, I'm stuck here. But uh, let's check it out first. So I'm going to go to number 96. Look for local people with their own transport needs. You can hear me actually flipping pages now. 96. Not so far from the Ledbetter house on the north side of Silbury Street, there's an open courtyard. The rhythmic tattoo of a hammer seems to announce your approach. The courtyard is the busiest location you've seen in Emberhead. It is bordered by a ring of workshops. Some are brick buildings, some only rough huts. A blacksmith ceases to hammer, thrusting something red and glowing into the bucket of cold water. A weaver looks up from his loom, blinking at you for a moment before returning to his shuttle. A potter, engraver, carpenter, each work in their own space, exchanging friendly banter. You move among the artisans, chatting about their work. Eventually, you bring up the question of export. Some of them send occasional packages of silas. Some restrict their custom entirely to the villages. villagers. You receive no suggestions about alternative support. I can make a psychology roll to see if they're hiding anything. If I succeed, I go somewhere. If not, somewhere else. I will roll here. I make it a 50 out of 60, so I'm going to go 
to 106. One of the workshops is shut up when you stray close to it. The repartee between the craftspeople becomes awkward, almost forced. Interesting. Now it says go to 25. I already checked psychology, so I don't get another check. Well, it wants me to go to another place. You're beginning to get your bearings in Emberhead. So I think I will go, I don't know. I'm gonna roll 1d6. I'm gonna roll randomly. 1d6 for the structure. One to three structure, four to six church. I rolled a one. I'm gonna go check out the large metal structure. I think that's what everyone wanted me to go check out, right? You walk up the approach, the most central of the village's major streets. It points directly at this odd metal structure. As you emerge from the shade of the nearby buildings, you are greeted by a magnificent panorama spread from the north to the southeast. The last colors of fall tint the hills in a sleepy gold. The structure, by contrast, is made from uncompromising iron, singed black. It supports an immense curved platform at the level of your head. Further struts snake up to a central point. It looks like they may have been some kind of sculpture at one time, but are now twisted and melted beyond recognition. An older gentleman passes looking up at you with roomy eyes. Are you here for the festival? That's the beacon. When they light it, night after next, you'll be able to see it ten miles away. He gives a little nod of satisfaction, then moves on, leaning on his walking stick. Now you notice a bundle of wood tied and stacked against the buildings nearby. Perhaps this festival would be an interesting diversion, but you really need to get to Arkham as soon as possible. All right, now I get to try my spot hidden. If I succeed, I go somewhere, otherwise somewhere else. Well, I put a lot of points in spot hidden, so I got a 48 out of 70. So I get to check that box, and I go to 69. As you walk away from the iron structure, you notice something strange about the construction of the village. All the wooden dwellings are concentrated in the west and southwest. To the east and northeast, close to the, closest to the beacon, the buildings are formed from dark brick and clay. Does this mean the settlement began at beacon and then spread west? I can check my spot hidden. Now I go back to 25. So back here, it wants me to check out another place. It says, once I've tried four options, I go to three, but I've only been to the general store, asked for local people, and the structure. So I will check one more place. I'm going to go check out the church. Seems very odd. So I'll go check out the church. You cross the street towards the church. As you glance to your left, you, your gaze alights on the large metal structure. Something bothers you about its positioning. You look, you back up and look again. Yes. Emberhead's central thoroughfare points directly at the structure. This seems too precise to be a coincidence, so now I guess it comes to me. You press on and draw into the shadow of the church. The building is in sorry state. The top of the steeple is missing, a ragged gash of splintered boards marking its absence, and the floors beneath it have collapsed. It appears to have torn through the roof of the main building as it fell. Only the back half is still intact. The white paint which once covered the church has yellowed and peeled. It seems safe enough to explore the rear section. Old pews are stacked against the wall, choked with mildew. Most of the windows are broken. You guess the church has been disused for about 20 years. There's little more of interest to you. Ask me to make a ride roll. It says I may have a bonus dice to roll the tens. So let's see, because my ride is not very good. Yeah, I got a 98 or an 88, so I don't make it. Hmm. All right, well, I guess I'm going back to 25, and then 
that tells me to go to three since that's already fourth places. So go to three. Your morning exertions have left you hungry. You roam the streets of Emberhead looking for sustenance. There's nothing resembling a cafe like in my hometown or anything that might be called a restaurant. So it looks like I got to get supplies from the general store. When May Ledbetter comes down the street with the girl trailing in her wake, this must be the Ruth that I noticed this morning. She races past her mother and approaches me with a smile. It does seem different than the Ruth who was that shy creature last night. As May reaches me, she stops and stretches her arms in celebration. She looks up into your eyes. Abruptly, the smile drops from her face and she looks several years older. She says, get out before the festival, get out. She blinks hard, then scuttles back towards her mother. Wow, that was Ruth. May approaches, wrapping an arm around her daughter's shoulders. She smiles. How are you getting on? Have you found transport? Startled, you explain the frustrations of the situations. Yep, I haven't been able to get it, May. Can't get that transport. No one's coming back here for a week or next week. She says, I try Mr. Winters in the village hall. He's always in... He, he is always in of an afternoon. You'll be hungry by now. Help yourself to any food in the house. The door is not locked. You glance at Ruth, where she has squirreled herself behind her mother's legs. Her eyes implore you to silence. I don't think I'm going to say anything. That seems like a warning, and I don't want to... I don't know. Truth be told, May creeps me out. Right? I think I've conceived Jim Otto as a large African-American man uh, wanting to start up in Arkham, his private eye business. Or maybe he's Jim Otto could be. Well, isn't that... Let me look that up. Hold on. Yeah, I'm not that Jim Otto who played for the Raiders. But I'm a different Jim Otto. The Jim Otto that I'm conceiving. All right, I'm not going to mention this, so it tells me to go to 22. I hope this is interesting. It's kind of a fun, kind of getting creepy adventure. All right. So I take my leave of the Leadbetters and head towards their house. The door opens easily in the low kitchen. I make my way from stodgy bread and leftover stew. A little window offers a view of the mountains. If I learned anything this morning, it's that Emberhead, is, hold, Emberhead streets hold little to occupy the visitor from out of town. There's still about five hours of daylight remaining. I could take some provisions and the bare essentials for my luggage and set out, maybe, to hope to reach another settlement, or I could... Ask advice from this Mr. Winters. I think I will go to the village hall. Not going to walk out just yet. It says go to 11. The village hall overlooks the lower north ridge of the village. You, I walk along Silbury Street to find it conscious of the oppressive black metal structure framed at the end of the road. The shutter halls are open and some windows left ajar. There is no knocker, but a little bell over the entrance, over the entrance tinkles as I push the front door. Inside a sturdy door to my right is marked private. To my left, an opening leads to a bright room. You take a few steps inside. Benches line the walls, and there are two notice boards mounted between the windows. I think I'm going to look at the notice boards first. The floorboards creak beneath me as I cross the room. I feel a slight spring in my step. Perhaps this room is used as a gymnasium for the children. One notice board appears to be for the adults of the community and one for the children. The former looks to be neglected, featuring handwritten advertisements for household items and a yellow note about telegraph pricing. There is nothing about a festival. The children's note board has a schedule for weekly crash services. 
and a number of paintings obviously done by the children themselves. Most are incoherent, though colorful. As best I can tell, they depict fireworks, maybe a tale of Joseph from the book of Genesis. One has lost a pin and hangs upside down. It shows a giant bird attacking Emberhead, or it might simply be that the artist has not yet mastered the subtleties of scale. I can make a spot hidden roll. So I will roll that. My spot hidden is 70, and I roll a 21, so I got a hard success. That doesn't matter, but I succeed, so I go somewhere to number 30. As the afternoon sun hits the floor, I notice something curious. The boards under the windows are newer than the boards in the center of the floor. The frames also show signs of having been replaced in the recent past. Perhaps rain leaked in and rotted the wood. Before I can check on that, however, it, the door scrapes open behind me, and a middle-aged, bespeckled gentleman appears in the door, doorway. May I help you? I explain why I'm visiting on May Ledbetter's recommendation. May sent me. Oh, well, I'm Clyde Winters. I'm not sure I can help you, but would you care for some coffee? I'm partial to a cup in the afternoon. He gestures to the door open behind him. This seems like a worthwhile opportunity. I guess I'm thirsty. That's what it says. So I go to 43. I step through the door marked private. The other side of the village hall is in marked contrast to the public space. The room is compact, lined with the shelves of books and file alcoves. One corner is reserved for tiny pantry and what is presumably a water closet. I study Mr. Winters as he fills a percolator. Although thin on top, his hair is oiled and neatly swept back. His suit is a sober affair and a whale tailored, even if cut. Even the cut is a little old-fashioned. A lesser man working alone might have loosened his bow tie for comfort. Hmm, he wears a bow tie. Don't trust him. On the desk against the opposite wall, you notice what looks like a telegraph set. I am going to make small talk with Winters. I can do that or check out the telegraph, but I will make small talk first. So the pot begins to gurgle as I exchange pleasantries with Win Mr. Winters. Living here, it's a trade-off. Like so much in life, he looks past you at the high shelf. I could wish for access to a proper library, of course, but I know myself well enough. I'm strictly a dabbler in the cities. His face wrinkles in distaste. Too many people, everyone rushing and shouting. We have a special place here in Emberhead, and someone must accept responsibility for keeping it so. That was my father before me, and now the duty falls to me. He lifts his chin and straightens up. This evening, the sun, as the sun sets, look out at the landscape around the village. We have peace up here, halfway to the stars. Are we not privileged? Is this not worth the hardships we must accept? He looks at me speculatively, then this seems a good time to ask about telegraph. So I do. The telegraph, hmm. Much as we value our isolation, we do need to link sometimes. You were hoping to send a message? I must apologize. The line has been down for two weeks, of course. Gremlins. I reported the fault, but of course... They're not so speedy when the problem lies in a rural area. I'm expecting a repair the day after next. Coincidence. I do appreciate how frustrating this must be. The coach is due in, what, three days? But I think he's going west. Perhaps he might engage a wagon. One of the farmers might... Well, I've explained to him that I've asked a few of the residents, but uh, not. they're only... They're not... They don't have any, it seems. I'll tell you what. Winters pours me a steaming cup of coffee... Smells rich and strong. When the repair crew arrive, I'll ask them to take you back with them. How would that be? 
they might want a dollar or two to grease the wheels the day after tomorrow well to me it's honestly it's less than ideal but it's the first opportunity i think i might ask about this library i do have library use I'm not well educated but i must be self-taught it says uh i can thank winters and leave go to 180 or i can ask about the library so i think i'll ask about the library you make a small but flattering remark about a couple of volumes on the shelves winters blushes with pleasure well of course they're not my personal collection they belong to the village but I did select most of the recent items. This is a community's library, see. I put up the private sign to stop people from wandering in meetings when they're in meetings in the other room. But this is really a public space. You can scan the shelves. There's a sparse but respectable collection on math, science, passable sections on history and arts, and a shelf of literature. He has a few lowbrow novels tucked away in the corner with tatty copies of Bizarre Tales magazine. Quality does not always equate to popularity, I'm afraid. Winters gives me an unapologetic smile. I think I'm going to stay in here and do some research. He did say if I could do it, so I will do that. Winters is happy for you to spend the rest of the afternoon in, in the study and offers you an upright and comfortable chair. You have enough time to pursue one line of research. So I have a choice here. The history of the area to look for something about the festival, to read something from sciences, to read some weird fiction. I'm curious about this festival, honestly. I have to stay here a couple days, so it looks like I'm going to have to go to this festival. So I will go to number 81. You're not surprised to find there is no published work on Emberhead's festival. Winters pokes around and finds a cased monograph, handwritten on yellowing paper by a Dr. Aniolowski. An acquaintance of my father's, I believe, Winters said. The manuscript is somewhat difficult to read, and you make slow progress. Annie Olowski speculates that the festival has its origin in pagan rites brought over by Celtic settlers, which celebrate the ancient festivals of Beltane, Samhain, Imbol, and Lugsan. There is some discussion of the struggle between seasons and a couple of oblique references to the alignment in Emberhead. And Yolowski suggests that the meaning of the festival slowly changed around the turn of the century. The monograph terminates mid-sentence at the end of the page, 28, just as it begins to discuss modern practices. I ask Winters about the remaining pages. No, I'm afraid they have been misplaced, he said. Perhaps they're in the library somewhere. He shrugs. I must take the time for a thorough stock take. That tells me to go to 99. The afternoon wears on. You have not quite finished your reading when Winters glances out the window and stands up. He clears his throat. Now time to make this hard credit rating. I only have a 20%. I do not make it. So I fail and I go to 105. I'm afraid I have to run some errands before dark, so I must close the library for today. Hope you'll return tomorrow afternoon if you are so inclined. I leave the building with Winters waiting as he locks up. I thank him for the coffee and the access to the library. He disappears off in the alley. You hope to wait. You, I hope to be away from this village before tomorrow, I think to myself. But it's good to know that I can occupy myself, at least in this library, instead of wandering around these three blocks of town, five blocks, five minutes, whatever. Go to 180. Ooh, I find a map of Emberhead. Oh, I see a map. Maybe I haven't found it yet. Mm. Maybe I should look at the history. Anyway, 
As the light fades, I return to the Ledbetter house and eat a light supper. May is unusually taciturn, not like she was last night. She was more talkative. Ruth's eyes flick tears to mine several times during the meal. There's an urgency there that I cannot quite interpret. Maybe. Afterwards, May ushers the girl into the room. You have been in Emberhead for barely a whole day, and you feel confined by it geographically and socially. The evening offers little. Hmm. I can do some stargazing or attempt to speak to Ruth. Hmm. Maybe I'll try to speak to Ruth. See what's up. I'm here with the both of them. It was charming yesterday, right? All right. In time, May returns to the kitchen and busies herself clearing up. So I'll have to speak to Ruth. I will need to get May to leave for a short while. I help with the dishes and try to think of some something. In time, I say, I ask about Silas and his friends in the village. May narrows her eyes. He knows Troy on the other side of town. Not sure I'd call them friends. More like an old feuding couple. But he probably spent last night at Troy's place. I ask May if she could visit Troy and ask if Silas mentioned any plans to return. And May looks dubious. Hmm. Right now, she says. I'm going to try to charm her. Use my charm that I had last night. I have a good charm. It's 60. Let's see if I make it or not. Oh, no, I do not. I do not make it. Okay. So I fail. I go to 151. May frowns and shakes her head. I'll be happy to go and see him in the morning. I must see to Ruth for now. She's a been a terrible handful today. Her bedroom door closes with a heavy clunk. Bummer. The, I, well, that says go to 157. The familiar surroundings of your guest room are becoming constrictive. The neat bed, small wardrobe, and dressing mirror have a feel of a prison cell around about them. What are you doing here in Emberhead? Your new life is elsewhere. It's in Arkham, right, guys? You lie on the bed and stare at the small cracks in the ceiling. You turn over the day's events, thinking through the little details you spotted. You're certainly weary from the elevation and the fresh air, but do you feel safe? I'm going to try to stay awake. So let's go to 2.30 if I try to stay awake. What they put in my coffee? Sleep presses down on you. You blink it back and sit up, trying to think about your situation. Everything in Emberhead seems to be working to stop you from leaving. Perhaps the answer is to strike out at first light, to walk far and as fast as you can. I can always return for my possessions. If I lose them, well, nothing's that precious. A tiny creak draws my attention from the other side of the room. The doorknob is turning. I think I will pretend to go to sleep. See what happens. So I can either wrench the door open or pretend to go to sleep. I think I'll pretend to go to sleep. Go to 254. Something's happening. I'm running out of numbers. Oh, I don't know. You slide onto the bed and lie on your side, eyes closed. The hinge creaks as the door opens. There's a long pause. A footfall sounds inside the room and then another. The steps are careful and feminine. You give it a moment and open your eyes a crack. May crouches with her back to me. She's fiddling with something in the fireplace. Man, so now I can confront her or go to 260 or, or see, wait and see what happens.
Hmm. I think I'm going to wait. So go to 266. Another, after another few moments, May glances around at you. Then you hear the soft scratch of a match being lit. She applies it to something in the grate and tiptoes from the room. Once you hear her bedroom door, you creep to the grate. A small mound of black powder, no bigger than a thimble, is burning. It gives off heady fumes. Let me see. It says I, if I have hard science, I can roll. If I succeed, go somewhere else. Otherwise, I can extinguish the powder and sleep. Go to 58. Or stay awake through the night. Go to 52. Or I can relax and breathe in the fumes. Um, I think I'm going to extinguish the powder and sleep, maybe. Let me see if I can make a hard science roll. I think I need like an 01. Yeah, I got, I got nothing. Yeah, I don't. There's no way. Um, I'm gonna extinguish the powder and go to sleep. So it says go to 58. Okay, very interesting. I awaken to the sound of feet in the street outside. My night's rest has brought a new determination. I will meet Emberhead on my own terms. Go to 64. The Ledbetter kitchen is empty. Bread and eggs have been laid out on the breakfast. There is a note from May explaining she has taken Ruth out for a few hours. Um, so now it gives me a choice. If I were involved in a fight last night, go investigate. Otherwise, go to 78. I was not involved in a fight. You make a quiet circuit of the village, pausing in an unobtrusive place to watch the villagers. It is rather busy for this time of the morning. Yawning locals stream back and forward, back and forth along the roads, carrying bundles of split logs to the site of what you've heard referred to as the beacon. That's that black thing and the, the black structure in the middle of the, of the town. You see two figures already up in the superstructure arranging the wood. The bonfire will be most impressive. But am I going to want to see it? I don't know. I suspect by now that something is strange. The villagers are distracted. I can do some investigation. Or I can leave town. Hmm. So I can search the Ledbetter's bedroom, go alone to the village hall, take a closer look at the courtyard, spy on the activity of the beacon, or a GTFO. Man. I'm a PI. What does a PI do? I'm gonna spy on activity in the beacon for a little bit, I think. Then I'll decide. So go to 29, it says. The north side of the village is bustling and I'm unlikely to remain hidden for long. I, I head in the direction of the church and I move up the east side behind the houses. A drop looms to my right. One particular section of ground is quite narrow. I have to hug the building for support. All right, so I can give this approach up and go somewhere else, or I can proceed and I compare my size to my dex. My dex is higher, go somewhere else. If my size is higher, make a size roll. If I succeed, all right, okay. I have to roll my size to see if I can do it. I'm gonna keep going. My size is an 80 does not say hard roll, so I need to below an 80, and I get it. I actually get a, I get an extreme success with an 11. I don't think that matters, and I can't check my size. So I go, I made it, so I go to 42. Or maybe that's bad. Maybe I shouldn't have made it. 
The turf sinks beneath my feet and stones crumble from the edge. Alarmed, I grip the building and ease myself forward. Hey, now I have a good spot to watch the beacon. Go to 61. What are these people doing? You lie concealed in the grass and watch activity around the beacon. Villagers bring in more bundles of tinder and stack them in neat piles. Another shift passes in the, in the bundles up to a pair of men standing on a raised platform of the beacon. They're constructing a triangular structure resembling a giant campfire. As you watch, you're, I am, as I watch, I am struck by the manner of the laborers. This is their festival. They don't seem cheerful. I would expect that, but they would seem cheerful. A cheerful atmosphere is lighthearted conversation, but they show resignation and detachment. Others show dread. I watch for a good half hour, and then I slip away. Go to 120. I feel a deepening unease about Emberhead and the day, and this day in particular. Now I have choices on what to do. Um, I've all right. So it looks as one of these things where I have I have attempted three options, and then I go to somewhere. Otherwise, I can I already spied on the activity. Um, I'm gonna think I'm gonna search the Leadbetter's bedroom. And then, or go to the village hall first, and then the the bedroom. So one twenty six. Keeping away from the streets, I skirt the northern cliffs and approach the village hall from the rear. It is close to the beacon, and I will not be able to use the door unobserved. So I check the windows. The one to the east, facing the beacon, is bricked up. Hmm. A shutter is loose on the westernmost window, and I am able to ease it open, slide inside. I close the shutter behind me. I drop into the village meeting room and pad through. Passing through dim shafts of light and listening to the excited chatter of the locals from outside. The door opposite me is private. Hearing nothing from the other side, I turn the handle and I go in. The room is like lined with books, same as before. In the corner, a small water closet and a pantry. A quick survey of the rest of the room reveals little. So I look at the bookcase. The dim light makes it difficult to read the spines. I have to look a... Let's make a spot hidden, but I can use a bonus dice. If I succeed, I go somewhere. If not, I go somewhere else. I got a good spot hidden, though. Yes, I make it 61 out of 70. The other one was an 8. So I make it. I go to 147. I'm excited. I'm flipping the pages faster. You look along the spines when you notice how close the bookcase is to the window on the north wall. From outside, there is a solid 3 or 4 feet between the edge of the window and the wall, and the bookcase covers the wall with the bricked-up window. I examine further, and it seems like it's an ingenious arrangement of slipcases physically attached to the shelves. When I pull on the left, the entire section of the bookcase swings out. The clatter of activity around the beacon seems to be building, and I flinch. It seems like every conversation is getting too close. I'm going to investigate behind. Go to 153. You squint into the darkness behind the bookcase. It is a small alcove, big enough for one person, and has a hidden shelf on either side. I cannot make out the titles in this light. I can risk opening the cliffside windows or grab a few books and leave. I think I might grab a few books and leave. You slip from the building, clutching some of the more portable volumes in the shadows behind the artisan's courtyard, you examine them. 
uh, to my disappointment, two or three are in a script that I cannot read. Another appears to be in Egyptian symbols. There is a spidery handwritten copy of something named the Emerald Tablet. But perhaps most intriguing is a small book of strange poetry bound in black, published in Boston in 1919. It reads, Azathoth and the Others. Oh, man. I'm going to have to record this one segment really quick. Oh, I got 65 minutes. I guess you can only record one hour at a time. Interesting. The cover reads, Azathoth and the Others by Edward Derby. You'll have to hide the larger volumes, but you can pocket the Derby book. Okay, it looks like if I survive the adventure, I can read 171 for more information. Otherwise, now I go to 120. I started another segment because I was afraid I'd get cut off before things were concluded. But I have um, checked out the library, checked out the activity on the beacon. Now I go back to this one entry 120 and I need to look at another option search the bedroom or should I try to get out of here I think I'm gonna search the bedroom that little girl is trying to tell me something maybe I'll find something all right so I go to 83 despite her hospitality yeah I definitely don't trust May Ledbetter I returned to the house quite openly where else am I gonna go Inside the dwelling is still empty. I rap on the bedroom door. There's nobody, no nothing. I ease it open. Silence. The Ledbetter bedroom is marked contrast to my own. Neat space. Dirty clothes are piled on the floor. On a rough quilt lie school books and cheap novels. And I notice a raggedy old doll discarded on the side of the bed. Okay, I'm going to make a spot hidden. See if I see anything. If I succeed, I go one place. If I fail, I go somewhere else. I succeed with, uh, yes, it is a hard success. It doesn't matter in this case. I just need to succeed or not. It says go to 90, succeed, I go to 95, okay? I notice scrapes on the floorboards corresponding to the legs of the bed. With an effort, I slide the bed away. There is a rug spread beneath it, and beneath the rug, a trap door. I ease it open. Oh, yes, I'm going into the cellar. Go to 114. The daylight barely offers enough illumination to see, but a hot lantern during the daytime would be very suspicious. I squeeze beneath the floor and glance around. My first impression is that May keeps her junk here, for there are many boxes of different size, sizes piled in untidy heaps. It takes a few seconds for me to realize that they're all traveling trunks or suitcases, about 20 of them. The implication hits me hard. I maintain enough control to check the luggage tags. I count eight or nine different names before I stop. I scramble up from the bedroom, close the trap door, and return the bed to its place. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to get out of here, man. This is a death trap. I'm going to slip down the east road and flee for good. Do I make it? Do I make it? Let's go to seven. As I approach the southern road and descend to the lower ridge, I see four villagers blocking the route with farm tools and clubs. I veer off and head towards the west road. My heart sinks. I see the same thing. I am trapped. 
Hmm. I try to see. It says that I have. A, I can try to talk my way past the guard groups, or I can try to slip past in disguise. I do not have a good disguise. I'm going to try to talk my way past or fight my way past. I do know another way to leave the village. I could stealth around, but that does not seem to be an option. So I'm going to try to see, talk my way past, see what happens, or fight my way past. Go to 119. The southern group appears less sharp than the western group. I stride up to them, explain I'm need and explain they are needed at the beacon. They look at me dubiously. You offer to watch the road for them and hold out your hand for a pitchfork. Nah, you come with us, says the first one. His ape-like brow bends into a frown. All right, extreme fast talk. Probably not gonna happen. Extreme, oh man. Yeah, there's no way. I need like a one. I think we can get into a, uh, a fight. Yes, I do not make it. I go to 139. These locals are not as stupid as you think. They grab you and march you back to the center of the village. What? I don't have an option to fight? Hmm. That's dubious to me. I feel like I should fight them. It says go to 108. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I gotta go with it. Um, they take me. My hands are shackled behind my back. I cannot even lie down on a bed. A woman I have not seen comes before me. The fading light comes from a narrow window, and the afternoon is giving way to evening. The woman's face, who comes in, her face is wrinkled and her eyes dull. They do not meet mine, but she puts a cup to your lips. If I accept the drink, I go to 104. If I reject it, I go to 113. I might as well accept it. You drink from the cup, it is cool, refreshing water, which you gulp down. When it is empty, she turns to leave. You speak. I try to speak to her, but she leaves. I try yelling. My voice definitely has to be audible outside, but it has no effect. It seems the entire village is involved. Go to 205. I guess this is the end of Jim Otto. I don't think that's fair. I should have been able to fight, right? The light fades outside with my prison becomes dark. I can hear much activity around the building. Occasionally there's an orange glow that passes the window. The only comfortable position in the shackle seems to be to sit against the edge of the bed with my arms hanging beside me. I can need to come up with a plan. It seems there's no escape from my bonds. I guess even if I took sleight of hand, which is a 10%, it wouldn't matter, but my strength is pretty damn good. But it doesn't look like I have a choice. I can either ignore the fact that they spent the entire day constructing this bonfire. Go to 27. The door scrapes, wrenching me back into the moment. Orange light spills into the room from blazing torches held at the threshold. Two large villagers step up and grab me. At least I think they're villagers. They wear heavy black cloaks. Their faces and hands are painted black, save for a red triangle on their left eye. I try to drag my legs. You try to, I try to drag my legs, but they reach under my arms and lift me from the bed. Outside, it seems the whole village has congregated to see me. Every single one has a blackened face with a red triangle motif. Torches sputter and spill fire. This guy's a racist. You struggle, but you can see physical resistance is hopeless. You're marched. I am marched to the center of the street. Turn to face the beacon. Go to 117. All right, I'm starting a new section or a new segment because I messed up and didn't record the last couple scenes. So the procession down the approach is slow and formal. 
save for when I sense weakness and I yank at my captors. A chill touches me when I see the three human shapes carried ahead of me, also draped in, draped in red cloth. The beacon looms larger and larger. It is a dreadful silhouette, a black triangle pointing to the stars. A low drone comes from the cloaked figures, unbidden. The word mourners comes to mind. Smoke from their torches makes me cough. I can feel the heat on my face. As I reach the clearing, the cleared area around the beacon, three dancers break from the pack, young girls swinging balls of light fire in spectacular arcs, drawing circles in the night air. One by one, they draw closer to me and touch my forehead with a sooty finger. They kiss me three times on the left cheek, right cheek, forehead. They whisper in my ear. The smell of kerosene fills my nostrils. It says make an appearance roll. If I succeed, go to 10. If I fail, go to 148. Okay, here's the appearance roll. I make it. So I go to 10. Maybe they'll let me go? Three... Your sacrifice, the village will be reborn, says the first dancer. You pass from the earth to air for all our sakes, says the second. I've weakened the chain, says the third. Don't try to escape until the flames are high enough to hide you. You stare at the third dancer in the inky visage. You clearly discern the frightened features of Ruth Ledbetter. Strange. Their dance weaves often disappears behind the buildings. Go to 18. So they said, don't try to escape the flames until the flames are high enough to hide you. Okay, well, we'll see. Okay, go to 18. As I arrive beneath the beacon, 10 villagers close in on me, working with surprising coordination. They immobilize me and lift me up the blackened iron stairs to the raised platform. I cannot help but shiver at the side of the central framework, twisted from plast blazes. That's what I noticed before, and what I can now clearly see to be fastening points for chains. None of the eyes meet mine as they lash me to the metal. The village sings now, something rhythmic and ancient, carved in odd syllables. The second group ascends to the beacon, carrying the three draped bodies. With reverence, they arrange their burdens in a triangle at my feet. Then they withdraw, leaving me alone. The dead shin deep in a sea of kindling. Go to 33. It seems... The entire village is gathered around the beacon to watch you burn. To watch me burn. Behind the face paint, I recognize May Ledbetterer. And yes, there's Silas, that bastard, the coach driver, standing at her side. The audacity and scale of the deception staggers me. A man steps up on the dais and raises his hands with quiet authority. The frame of his spectacles obscures the red triangle of his face. So we draw here together again on this night, and we do every year. We give thanks to the one who will preserve the village from the fire of the void. You'll be taken by the ones from above in our stead. Your death will bring life to our streets and bounty to our fields. It will safeguard our children and our elders alike for another year. We salute you. He bows his head. All around the beacon, bearers step forward and lift their torches to the edge of the raised platform. A ring of tiny flames flicker up around the perimeter as they wink. The singing of the villagers drops into an unearthly rhythm. Well, they haven't lit the fire yet. I gotta trust this Ruth, right? It says to throw all your remaining strength against the bonds, go to 44. To wait and see what happens, go to 40. The flames snake across the kindling, catching and rising. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna trust this Ruth. Smoke rises and it becomes difficult to see the villagers. The three bodies surrounding me catch fire, blazing with sooty red flames. I begin to cough as the smoke enters my lungs. And I fight down the urge to panic. 
It says, if you have learned the chant, strange chant in which to try it, this is the moment. Otherwise, go to 65. There's no other choice to, but to go to 65. I don't know the chant. Flames lick at my legs. My eyes water. I am shrouded by smoke. It might be my imagination, but I think I can give a slight tug, and I feel like I have a slight give on the chains. I throw myself against them. No thought on how they bite at my wrists. I take 1d6 of damage from the fire. Oh, I only take 2 points of damage from the fire, bringing my hit points to 9. So I'm still up, because if this reduces me to 0, I collapse and burn at the end. But I make my strength roll. I attempt my strength roll, which is very high. I make it a hard success at a 36. Go to 93. I got a 36 out of 80. Desperation lends strength, me strength and I yank at what I guess to be the weakest point in the chain. It breaks. Well, this woman's trying to save me. The girl's trying to save me. I throw the chain off, stumbling across one of the red shrouded corpses heading away from the watching villagers. I cough. My hair and eyebrows smolder. Oh, I only take one point of damage, though. It says roll 1d6. I roll a 1. Um, I am not dead. Otherwise, go to 137. I'm hurting, but not dead. I leap from the conflagration on the far side of the beacon. My heart lurches momentarily at the sight of the sheer drop beneath me, but I land a few inches short of the edge. I roll to extinguish my clothes. My lungs are singed. Everything hurts. The chant of the villagers gathers in intensity. I peer around the beacon. They don't seem to be noticed to notice me, absent in the billowing smoke. All of them are staring at the sky. I crawl rapidly as I can to find cover in the nearest building. Go to 156. With the villagers assembled at the beacon, the streets are empty, and I am able to pad my way from the blaze gotta get out of town. The chanting seems to accelerate as I round the corner on the southern road. Here parked against the side of the general store. The bicycle. I learned to ride these in Providence. I sidle into the saddle. My burn flesh protests at the contact. Alright, so now I have a choice. Do I wait and observe what's going on at the beacon? Or do I just GTFO immediately? Oh man, as much as it pains me, I think I'm going to observe. Go to 168. Curiosity killed Jamato, maybe? After a quick glance around to be sure I'm not observed, I look back along the avenue. The entire village is intent upon the beacon. The chanting reaches a new fevered pitch. I cannot say exactly why, but I get the impression something is wrong. The chant begins to break and the villagers sway. Then, thum! Something incandescent thunders into the crowd in front of the beacon, leaving a fiery trail in my vision. I feel the ground shudder beneath the bicycle. Fathoom! Another strikes nearby, scattering sparks. The chant falters and gives way to screams. Fire skims the building, facing the beacon. Smoke rolls through the streets. A woman staggers towards me, wailing. Her arm is on fire. She beats it against the wall. Fathoom! Another strike out of my sight towards the village. It's time to GTFO. Go to 185. It takes a moment for me to recapture the skill of riding the bicycle after seeing all that. 
but after the first turn to the east, there is a long downhill out of Emberhead. I hear screams and crackles above me, but concentrate on balancing and working the pedals in my weakened state. I've had too many hopes dashed in this abomination of a village. I keep my head down and ride away. Twenty minutes later, with no signs of pursuit, I stop. For a breather at the top of the hill, I can see Emberhead rise in the distance. The whole entire village looks to be ablaze. The dark column of smoke above it will be visible for many miles, but the village is as isolated as it seems. No one's going to be here. I watch it burn for about five minutes, then I mount my bicycle and ride, ride again towards civilization and the dawn. Congratulations, it says. I, you have survived this adventure. You may now keep your investigator sheet and use it in another Call of Cthulhu scenario. If you have checked marked small box and any skills, I have chances to improve them. The end. So, okay, that was harrowing. I didn't like some of the things that I couldn't fight my way out because he's got good fighting skill and he can shoot things, but he doesn't have a gun. But I guess it's an intro scenario, so maybe that's not the point, right? I have checked charm, psychology, spot hidden. And I think that is it. I think that is it. So let me roll those real quick. After roll above. I do not roll above my charm. I do roll above my psychology. Do not roll above my spot hidden. Okay, let me fix those. Oh, and I'm gonna get a D10 on my psychology. A five, not bad. All right, let me fix those. I'll be right back. Well, that was fun and kind of crazy and probably a little long, but I guess it's like many actual plays. My first actual play is a solo. Um, the last time I did a solo, I, did a, I think I did Against the Wendigo. I became a ghoul. So it looks like this time Jim Otto survives to live another day, fight against the mythos. Well, if you stayed this long, thank you for listening. I'm sorry for the hiccups there. So that This is three sections, but hey, if you went through it, that's Alone Against the Flames. That is my entry for solo. It's a long one, but hey, it's day 28. Um, got three more days. Peace out.